All right. Good evening, everyone. Let's uh, let's let's begin. So, I, what I want to do tonight, Emir Hashem, is actually skip a little bit in uh, Safer Tehillim. Is this on? Do you hear me? All right. Yeah. Make a little bit. Let me make it a little louder. Sorry. I hope it's a little better. Okay. A little bit better. All right, so what I'd like to be able to do tonight to Meretz Hashem is skip a little bit in Sefer Tehillim and actually skip towards the chapters which comprise Hallel. Because in Meretz Hashem, just, it's amazing, just a week from this Sunday night, Meretz Hashem, it's Chanukah, Habalina Litova, and so much of Chanukah, so much of Chanukah is rooted in the concept of Hallel. So although we don't have enough weeks before Hanukkah to be able to go through all the chapters of Hallel, I think if we start this week, Emir Hashem, and next week, and then continue on forward through the chapters which comprise Hallel, it'll first of all give us an incredible insight into the concept of Hallel, an incredible insight into the role of Hallel, and Emir Hashem for Hanukkah will also give us a bit more of appreciation, a profound appreciation of this beautiful Yom Tov. So we're beginning again with Kapitel Kuf Yud Gimel, chapter 113. And you'll notice again, first chapter of Halal. So let's begin. Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Abde Hashem, Hallelujah, Hashem, Hashem. It's a short capital, so let's just run through it quickly, just to get a little bit of a, of a thematic overtone to it. So literally again, Hallelujah, Kaddish Baruch should be praised. Hallelujah, Abde Hashem, praise the servants of Hashem. Hallelujah, Hashem, Hashem. Praise the name of Hashem. Hashem's name should be blessed from now and for all eternity. I'll just use the translation. From the rising of the sun until its setting, the name of Hashem is praised. Pasuk Dalit, verse 4. Hashem is high over all nations. Upon the heavens is His glory. Who is like Hashem? Who dwells on high. Now, this is the first part of the capital. And in this first part of the capital, the entire focus is on the greatness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Praising greatness of Hashem. Now there's an interesting transition. If you take a look in Pasuk Vav, so the Pasuk says, Hamashpili liros bashamayim uva'aretz. What does Hashem do? He lowers his eyes to look in the heavens and the earth. He lifts the pauper up from the dust. From the garbage heap, he raises up the needy. He takes the downtrodden, seats him with the princes, the princes of his people. Literally, again, he seats the barren women of the house as a happy mother of, excuse me, he seats the barren woman of the house as a happy mother of children. So if you notice again, something very interesting happens in this capital. So again, Psukim Aleph Beis Gimel Dalid and Hey are all focused on the praise of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. After that, Psukim Vav, Zayin, Ches, and Tes are descriptive about the greatness of Hashem. Now, what's interesting about this capital is, first of all, it's a dramatic departure from so much of Sefer Tehillim, right? So what's, what's missing from this capital? What's not here that you find in almost every other, well, not every other, in many other capital of Tehillim? I'm sorry? First of all, Lamaseach is not there. Good. What else? There's, there's no suffering. In other words, there's no over-suffering. Now, the truth is, we're Jewish, so there's always a little bit of suffering, right? So remember, again, there's a little bit. We're talking about paupers. We're talking about people who are down. 
But if you compare this with the general theme of so much of Sefer Tehillim, which is David HaMelech's ongoing struggle, David HaMelech's ongoing difficulty with the different situations in life, the theme is not really present as much here. This seems to talk about a Kaddish Baruch Hu almost from the outside looking in. So again, the first part describing the greatness of Hashem, the last couple of psukim describing the power and the greatness of God as manifest in his ability to take the lowly and raise them up. And if you notice again, by the way, the lowly are referred to in three, well, we'll get to this in just a moment. So I'll show you an incredible Malbin. Take a look at number two. And I'll just point out, What's beautiful, like I said, we're learning these kapitlach now because this is going to give us a, a greater appreciation of Hallel. Although we say these paragraphs all of the time, very often, as part of Hallel, very often we don't necessarily appreciate the deeper message that David Amalek is trying to convey. So look at the Malbim. The Malbim makes an amazing observation. Let, let's first talk in general terms about the kapitol. The Malbim writes, Amr Hallelu Avdi Hashem, Shia Hallelu Hashem Hashem, Ulam Hosif so the Malbim makes a very interesting observation, okay? If you skip back just to number one for just a moment. If you know, excuse me. So the capital goes like this. The first thing the capital tells you, what, what's the first thing you have to do? What's the first mandate in this chapter? Praise God. Then Pasuk Beis. Yehi Shem Hashem Mevorah. There's a second mandate. What's the second mandate? Bless God's name. God's name should be blessed. So it's interesting. First Pasuk says, praise the name of Hashem, hallelujah. Second Pasuk says, Hashem's name should be blessed, Baruch. Now the truth is, very often we use praise and bless synonymously. Right? In other words, if you ask us, what's the difference between praising something and blessing something? The truth is they can very easily be used interchangeably. But the Malbim is intrigued. By the way, one of the pieces that we're not getting into tonight is who authored this particular capital. Not all of Sefer Tilim was authored by David HaMelech. Some of Sefer Tilim was authored before David HaMelech. Some of it was authored after David HaMelech. Some actually attribute this capital to none other than Chizkiyo Melech Yehuda. Chizkiyo, again, was the great-grandson of David HaMelech, who the Gemara tells us had the ability to be Mashiach, had he not made certain critical life errors, which is an interesting idea, an interesting idea in general. The, 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 this concept that people... Oh, actually, let's stay on, stay on task. Good. All right, fine, I'll just tell you quickly. So the, the idea is like this. This concept of Chizkiyo Melech Yehuda being, having the ability to have been Mashiach, but then having done something wrong. Remember, we've actually spoken about this before. Remember again, what was Chizkiyo's mistake? Chizkiyo's mistake is that he did not marry. He refused to marry. Now, why did he refuse to marry? Because he saw prophetically that if he were to marry and have a child, his son would be an incredible Russia. His son would be very wicked. So the Navi tells the story, the Imam actually tells the story, where Chizkiyo was on his deathbed, and Hashem says to Yishayo, the prophet Isaiah, go visit Chizkiyo. Go visit Chizkiyo. <clears throat> so there was also a falling out between Yeshayahu and Chizkiyo. So neither one wanted to go to the other. Okay, so Yeshayahu goes to Chizkiyo. Okay, so Yeshayahu walks in and he says something you should never say on a bigger Holland visit, which is, you're going to die. Right? You're going to die. As he, t- as he tells Chizkiyo, Chizkiyo says, what? We have, I have a Masora for my grandfather from Davan HaMelech. 
Even if there's a sharp sword against your neck, do not despair. Do not give up. So Chishayo says, says, but you never married. So Chizkiyo said, well, you have a single daughter. How about I marry her? Yeshayo said, I already told you, you're going to die. Right? So again, they work it through. It turns out Chizkiyo marries Yeshayo's daughter. They have a son. Their son is named Menashe. Menashe was the longest serving monarch. He served for 55 years. For 22 of them, he was a terrible Russia who introduced Avodah into every corner of Eretz Yisrael. For 33 years, he did Shuvah. But he had done so much bad during the first part of his reign that he could not undo everything. So it's an incredible thing. So Chizkiel saw Ruach HaKodesh, saw Ruach HaKodesh that he was going to have a son who was a Russia. So he made the decision to give up family life, to give up companionship, to give up children, to give up everything for the sake of safeguarding Cloud Yisrael from this terrible catastrophe. But Yeshayo says to Chizkiel, essentially, it's not your job to run the world. It's a Chesh Baruch Hu's job to run the world. Your job is to live like a normal person. Try to find a spouse, try to have a family. That's your job. Don't get involved in what's going to be, what's not going to be. But the idea, the Gemara said, that had Chizkiyo not meddled in the affairs of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, he could have been the Mashiach. He could have been the Mashiach. So this idea of people having the most incredible potential. So there's an interesting halacha in Shulchan Aruch. Shulchan Aruch brings down in Yeridea that if a mother cannot nurse her child. Okay, so in, in the days before, synthetic formula. Right? So if a mother couldn't nurse her child, she would hire a wet nurse, someone else to nurse the child. So the Shulchan Aruch Paskins, that if a Jewish mother can't nurse her child, it is much better to hire a Jewish woman to go ahead and nurse the baby than to have a non-Jewish woman nurse the baby. So the halacha says, so what's the raya, what's the proof to this? What's the proof to this? The proof to this is Moshe Rabbeinu. Because Moshe Rabbeinu, I write, he was set afloat on the Nile by his mother. And Chazal tell us that Moshe would not nurse from an Egyptian woman. He would only nurse from a Jewish woman. He ends up nursing from his mother. And the Gemara there says, why? The mouth that was going to go ahead and speak with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, ultimately, again, how could that mouth nurse from a non-Jewish woman? That's, 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 that's what the Gemara says. So the Shulchan Aruch therefore says, just like Moshe Rabbeinu wouldn't nurse from a, Jewish, from a non-Jewish woman, so if a mother can't nurse her child, she should find a Jewish woman to nurse the child. So the Satmarav, Zechitzadeh says, what are you talking about? That's Moshe Rabbeinu. That's Moshe Rabbeinu. So the Shulchan Aruch is bringing a raya, bringing a proof from Moshe Rabbeinu. Elamai says the Satmarav something amazing. You see, every child has the ability to be Moshe Rabbeinu. And when you raise your child, right? When you raise your children, you have, the children have the ability to be whatever they want to be. Obviously, within the scope and the spectrum of their opportunities and of their abilities. But Lamaisa, potential is limitless. Potential is limitless. It's not our potential that limits us. It's often we that limit our potential. Chizkiyo could have been the Mashiach. Every child is filled with such incredible promise and potential. But so often, again, it's not life that gets in our way. We get in our own way. In any event. So back to here. So back to the, back to the capital. So therefore, David HaMelech over here, or Chizkiyo, whoever the author is, we're not really going to delve into that right now. Because it's not so material for us. We'll just go right now with that. It's David HaMelech's words. Pashab Shat. So Dara Mouth, therefore, is telling us two concepts when it comes to dialoguing with God. There's Hallelujah, there's praising Hashem, and there's Bracha, Yishem Hashem Mevorach, blessing Hashem. What's the difference between praising and blessing? 
And here the Malbim says something absolutely amazing. He says, so look at the second line, number two. Kish hevdel beina halal beina bracha. There's a difference between halal, which we translate as praise, and bracha, which we translate as bless. Shatihilehi mitzad gidulasar amuso, shebaze yodu gama akum vakarlo alakad alaka, this is incredible. He says, praise, praise, hallelujah, represents praising HaKadosh Baruch Hu in a way that everyone could see. We praise the elements of God. So when you praise HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we're referring to the aspects of the Ribono Shal Olam that are observable by everyone, right? What's a good example of this? Again, presupposing one believes in God, seeing nature, the natural world. Right? That's clear to everyone who recognizes Hashem as a creator that nature itself represents the most dramatic, creative, dynamic prowess of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So that's halaluka, that's praise. When you recognize something about HaKadosh Baruch Hu that is obvious, that everyone sees. Everyone, Jews could see it, non-Jews could see it, everyone sees it. So what's bracha? Listen how beautiful this is. Third line in, and number two, the last two words on line, Shabracha mora. Bracha refers to the act of blessing Hashem. What does it mean to bless Hashem? To recognize HaKadosh Baruch Hu for His intervention on what we'll call the Hashkacha Pratis level. On what we call divine providence. Now what's the interesting thing about Hashkacha Pratis? The interesting thing? Interesting thing? You could easily miss it. Or you could easily go ahead and interpret it as nature. Or you can interpret it just as happenstance. One of the most beautiful aspects of our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu is that we are supposed to be tuned in to the beautiful things that HaKadosh Baruch Hu does for us day in and day out. Are they major things that everyone sees? No. No, very often I might be the only one who sees it. In other words, the stuff that happens to me. You might not see what happens to me. I don't see what happens to you. And often these hashkacha protests, these acts of divine providence are very nuanced. Are very nuanced. You could write, we, we, I mean, you've, we've all had those moments, right? The little things that happen day in and day out. And when they happen, I feel such a profound sense of gratitude to Hashem. No one around me would recognize anything different. No one around me sees anything dramatic occurring. But I know it. So such a beautiful explanation. So Hallel is the form of praise that's given for something that the world can see. The greatness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, which manifests itself in a clearly objective, observable fashion. Kriya Siamso, the splitting of the sea. Kalal Yisrael saw it, the Egyptians saw it, right? The Gemara says every single body of water on the face of the earth split at the time of Kriya Siamso. Everyone saw it. That's a Halalukah moment. Then there are Bracha moments of life. Bracha moments, nuanced, Hashkacha, Protest, divine providence moments that Hashem did something wonderful for you that again, it's not the splitting of the sea. No one else notices it or sees it. But at the end of the day, I am conscious and I bless my God for it. Which I just want to point out what, a, what an important way to go through life. Because often, the only time we recognize HaKadosh Baruch Hu are in the Halalukah moments. Right? The Halalukah moments like, Wow! Look how God just came through for me. 
What about the bracha moments in life? The bracha, you know, my children roll their eyes a little bit, but like every, every night, I try to do it every night, but I've given up on that. At least Shabbos, at least Shabbos, like tell me some hashgacha pratis moment that happened to you in the week. And here's what's crazy, is that so often, like we have to think about it. To think like what? Meanwhile, like a million hashgacha pratis things happen every single day. Happen every single day. From the parking spot you got, right? To the light turning a certain way, to traffic letting up when it was supposed to, to getting stuck in traffic and then realizing that it worked well, to your kids doing this, your kids not doing this, your spouse doing this, your spouse not doing this. School, work, a million different things happen on any given week, but they often come in, I say, wow, that was, that was really neat, that was really great, and then it often flows out. Those are the bracha moments. And by the way, there are many more bracha moments than halaluka moments. Many more. A person just has to be cognizant of those moments. So such, first of all, I just want to point out, like, how different is your halal going to be just knowing this from the beginning? Hallelujah, Hashem. My halaluka moments. By the way, I was speaking to someone who told me that, um, he told me that he started journaling. Started journaling. So, which I thought was very interesting. I'm like, you're the first man I've ever met in my life who journals, but okay, good. I, I was fascinated by it. So I, tell me, so I, tell, I said to him, like, tell me, tell me, like, what do you journal? I'm just curious, what do you journal? So he said, I journal when something unique happens. Unique, something out of the ordinary. It could be out of the ordinary good, out of the ordinary not so good. He said, because I realized that if I journal the out of the ordinary moments, then I'm really able to appreciate things as they occur in life. As opposed to life just being one continuum of events, the journaling of the stuff that's just different, it's just different, creates a certain sense of awareness, a certain sense of mindfulness, and I find myself just much more in tuned with what is happening in the world around me. It's incredible. David HaMalach also journaled. Also journaled. You know what we call it? Uh, Tell him, right? That, what, what, what do you think is happening over here? David Amalek is taking pen to paper and literally writing about the events of his life. He's journaling. There are halaluka moments and there are brach moments. But if a person doesn't take the time to understand them or appreciate them, they simply go by and a person doesn't even realize. So here's what's interesting. So, let, so let, let's take that for just a moment. Let's, let's, so now we have a definition. Halaluka moments, bracha moments. If you take a look at number three, so the Al Sheikh says something very interesting. I, what I want to really spend the rest of the night, the rest of the, the few minutes we have left, or more than a few minutes left, a little bit of time that we have left, is on the last pasuk on this in this capital, because I find out of the entire capital, this last pasuk is most dramatic. Moshibi akeres habayis aim habarim smicha halaluka. So the first thing is the Al Sheikh points out that just grammatically, it doesn't seem to read correctly. The al Sheikh says, in number three, See, if you look at the wording, So the way it's translated here is, he seats the barren woman of the house as a happy mother. So the al Sheikh says, why don't you just write it as, Right? In other words, what's the point of the part? What is Dalabal trying to convey? What is he trying to convey? He's trying to convey that Hashem lifts up the downtrodden 
and helps to turn their circumstances around. And he does it in three different ways, right? Literally, again, he lifts up the pauper. Right? He goes ahead and he places him with the princes. So that's part one, part two. And then number three, he takes the barren woman and makes her into a mother of children. So the Al-Sheikh is just pointing out the Pasuk reads strangely. You can make it so much more concise. Moshivi akara aim habonim. Hashem takes the barren woman and makes her into a mother of children. Why do you need the extra bias in there? Moshivi akeras habayis. He takes the akeras habayis, makes her into aim habonim smecha, happy mother of children. So hold on to that for a little bit. We're going to go on a detour. So here's what's incredible. As you've seen already in our journey through Sefer Tehillim, very often what David does in Tehillim is, he, like, like in many forms of poetry, he goes ahead and he makes metaphorical allusions to different things. So in this imagery over here, in this imagery over here, who's the barren woman that David HaMelech is referring to? He takes the barren woman, leaving aside why we have bias in here, he takes the barren woman, Makes her into a mother of children. So I want to share with you three different approaches. Take a look at number four on the sheet. zu sara. So the, again, the Medrash writes, "Who is the akara sabayis? Who is the barren woman? Sara imenu, sara imenu." Now, based on this, the Al Sheikh says something absolutely amazing, and this is where we begin to see what David Mal is trying to convey. Because remember. It's easy to say, what is David trying to convey in this verse? That Hashem can take the downtrodden, the oppressed, the ones who are going through difficult circumstances and turn their situation around. That's beautiful. But remember, David HaMelech did that already. Right? Where, where did he make that point? Where did he make that point? You already made the point. You could take the pauper out of the garbage dump, right? And you could seat him alongside the princes. So you've made the point already that HaKadosh Baruch Hu could turn around a person's circumstances. Why do you have to illustrate that same concept again? Just this time, instead of using a pauper, you use a barren woman. What, what, in other words, okay, you could say it's poetry. Poetry likes to draw on prolific imagery. So you could just say, David is just contributing another layer of imagery. But why? Why, why? why is it necessary for him to say this? So the al says something amazing. Take a look at number five. The al writes, Hine kara es ha'im shebo notzer ha'vlad. Beis vlad. So this is absolutely incredible. The al points out, by the way, that the womb, the womb, the uterus, is called, often called in the words of Chazal, a bias, a home, a home. Because the womb, the uterus, is the home, right, for the fetus, for the baby. And he says something amazing. So what does it mean, says the al akeres habayis? It means ultimately, again, Mi shehu akeres shal habayis hayadua l'noshim beis avlad. Akeres habayis means a woman who doesn't even have a reproductive system. A woman who doesn't even have a bias, doesn't even have the womb, doesn't even have the ability to conceive. So what could HaKadosh Baruch Hu do with an akeres habayis? What could HaKadosh Baruch Hu do with such a woman who just lacks the actual physical framework to bring life into this world. 
Vedomela. No, the Gemara says, Sari Imenu didn't simply struggle with infertility. Sari Imenu, the Gemara says, was an islandess. She didn't have a womb. She didn't have a womb. She, she did not have the physical organs with which to conceive. So what did HaKadosh Baruch Hu do for her? See, the, the miracle of the birth of Yitzchak was not just HaKadosh Baruch Hu answering Sarah's tefillahs to become fertile. It was HaKadosh Baruch Hu literally again changing the laws of nature to allow Sarah Imenu to conceive and ultimately give birth. This says the al and it's so incredible. This says she is the meaning of the Pasuk. Moshivi Akera Sabai. You see, our whole lives, we've been translating this as Hashem takes the barren woman and gives her children. No, I mean, yes, but it's so much more than that. Moshivi Akera Sabais. What could HaKadosh Baruch Hu do? What are the Ribono Shel Olam's abilities? HaKadosh Baruch Hu's ability is literally to change the laws of nature. Nothing, nothing is beyond the ability and the scope of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And now, but if you think about it, uh, listen to the bookends of the capital. How does the capital start with, right? What do we start with? We start with Halalukah, right? What is Halalukah? Praise. What praise what? What does that refer to? Pray, what are we praising Hashem for? What are we praising Him for? The obvious and overt miraculous activity that HaKadosh Baruch Hu engages in. Then what do we do? We give a bracha to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. What's the bracha for? The more nuanced things that HaKadosh Baruch Hu does. And how does the capital end? Do you want to know what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is capable of doing? Do you want to know what he's capable of doing? He could do anything. He could do anything. Moshivi akeres habayis. That literally, if Hashem wants to go ahead and have a woman who doesn't have a womb and give her a child, HaKadosh Baruch Hu has the ability to do so. I'll say impossible goes against the laws of nature. Here's the incredible part. You and I are only here because Sarah Imenu, the barren woman without a racham, without a womb, had a child. That's the only reason we're here. That's Moshivi Akeres Habai. See, what Davina Melech is trying to convey to us in this capital is the power of belief in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You see, it's interesting because intellectually, if you ask us, if you ask a Jew, what could HaKadosh Baruch Hu do? So the answer is going to be, what could HaKadosh Baruch Hu do? Anything. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we don't always actually believe that. In other words, I believe it with my mind. But if you ask me, like, do I believe that that's going to play out in my life? Like, do I, do I believe that? No. And by the way, often we don't believe it for a variety of reasons. To be honest, sometimes we've just gone through so much in life. And I've had so many letdowns and so many disappointments and so many failures that I don't believe HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to intervene. I believe the world runs a certain way. You win some, you lose some. God's not really going to change anything for me. And David HaMalach says, Chas that a person should ever think like that. Does the world more often than not operate according to a certain natural order? It does. It does. But only because HaKadosh Baruch Hu wills it. But should Hashem decide to do something dramatically different for you, nothing is beyond the scope of possibility. You know, the beauty of the Jew, the beauty of the Jew, I've mentioned this before, but I'll, I'll just mention it here also. Already, we're, so many years in, I've used all my good material already. So whatever I have to say, you've heard it already. But I'll just say, one of, one of my favorite ideas, one of my favorite ideas is Rabbi Lau, Rabbi Yisrael Meir Lau quotes in the Haggadah, in Halach Ma'anya. 
Right? What do we say at the end of Halach Ma'anyo? We say, Hashata Avdi, Lashana Babane Chorin. Right? This year we're slaves, next year we'll be free. Hashata Hacha, Lashana Hababa Ardi Israel. This year we're here, next year in Eretz Israel. Rabbi Lao says, that's such a terrible formulation. Right? How should it be phrased? This year I'm here, and what? Tomorrow I could be in Eretz. What do you mean next year? Next year? Next year? Hashem could do anything. Hashem could bring Mashiach on a dime. Hashem could go and transport us all to Eretz Yisrael in a moment's notice. What do you mean next year? And Rabbi Lau says something so beautiful. He says, the Jew often lives in two worlds. I know that anything is possible, but I also know that certain things are probable. Meaning, it's possible that tomorrow I'll be in Eretz Yisrael. It's not probable. It's possible. But it's not, by the way, saying it's not probable doesn't mean I don't believe it. I believe it with all of my heart. That Mashiach could come tonight, tomorrow morning we wake up in Eretz Yisrael. It could happen? Absolutely. And I had a question. Is it probable that it's going to unfold that way? No. No. See, say to yourself, but isn't that inherently contradictory? If you believe that it's possible, then how can you say it's not probable? And the answer is, because we're Jewish. Right? And we could believe two things simultaneously. I can believe two truths simultaneously. That anything is possible. Anything is possible. But not everything is probable. I could be in Eretz Yisrael tomorrow. Is it probable? No. And so this last phrase of this capital is so, is so profound. Because do, do I believe, is it in other words, is it possible that a Kaddish Baruch who overturns the laws of nature to make things work in my life? Is it possible? Absolutely. Is it probable? I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know if it's probable or not. I think all of us have seen nature-defying events in our own lives. We've all experienced things like that in our own lives. So it's possible. If it's probable, I don't know. But I at least have to believe that it's possible. I have to believe what it means to have a Muna is to believe that the Ribbono Shal Olam can do anything. Does it mean that he's going to do anything? Does it mean that he's going to do anything? Not necessarily. Hashem has a whole world to run. And I am but one cog in the wheel. One cog in the wheel. Hashem can do anything for me, whether he will or not, Depends on a whole variety of circumstances. Says the Alshech, that's the power of this phrase, Moshivi Akeres Habayis. Hashem could take a woman who has no womb, Aim Habanim Smecha, and he can make her into the happiest mother of children. You'll say, beautiful, never happened. Says the Gemara, yes, it did. Sorry, Menu. Sorry, Imenu. You have to believe, belief in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Emunah in Hashem, means the belief that anything and everything is possible. Show you another approach. Take a look at number six. Another incredible Medrash. Moshivi Akaras Habayis. Who does this refer to, this barren woman? Zu Chana. It refers to Chana. Ula Chana Yilad. And the Pasuk says Chana didn't have children. So let's take a quick look at the beginning story of Chana because it's one of the most, one of the most dramatic stories. And I've, I've, I've mentioned before also, for me, one of my, when I go to Eretz Yisrael, one of my favorite places to go is to go to Shiloh. 
And you could dive in literally. They know exactly where the Mishkan was. The outline of the Mishkan is still there. And you could dive in literally in the spot of the Mishkan. The spot of the Mishkan. To dive in the spot where Chana poured her heart out to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to give her a child. Shmuel Hanavi, literally, his Neshama comes into this world. Ultimately, again, in Shiloh. Incredible. So take a look at number seven. So just to give you this story, because there's an incredible part of the story that often goes overlooked. So just a, a little bit outside. So the Navi here is describing the story. Elkanah, Shmuel's father, this is before Shmuel is born. Elkanah has two wives, Chana and Penina. Penina has children. Chana doesn't have children. So the Navi records that Elkanah would bring his family to Shiloh every single year. Aliyah Laregel. And the Navi describes that every single year, the same thing happened. Elkanah offered up Karbanos. He gave to, a, a portion to Penina, a portion to all of Penina's kids. Chana always got the nicest portion. Elkanah always made sure to give her the nicest portion. Why? Because as Chana Ahev, he loved Chana. He loved Chana, right? Reminiscent of last week's show. We spoke about Yaakov, you know, loves Farach, love Rachel and Leah. It's always incredible when the Torah, or when, the, when Tanakh talks about the love of a man to a woman. Always something incredible because it's not the norm. It's not common, right? We don't find anywhere that Abraham loved Sarah, right? We don't find, the first time we find love is by Yitzchak and Rivka. Then we find it again by Yaakov. We don't find that Moshe loved Zipporah, right? We, we just don't, Torah doesn't, so when, when, when you do find it in Tanakh, it's always dramatic. So here the Navi goes out of its way to say that although Penina was the one who had given Elkanah children, Elkanah loved Chana more. So the Navi then talks about, again, the strife that existed between Chana and Penina. Skip a little bit to Pasuk Ches. Pasuk Ches. I'm sorry, Pasuk Zayin. So what, what ends up happening is you know how sometimes when you get together with your family, the same dynamics play out all of the time, right? The same issues, the same difficulties. Well, the good news is, if that happens in your family, you're not alone, because it happened in Elkanah's family as well. Every single time they went to Shiloh, all Gehenim broke loose, right? Chana and Penina were at it, and what ended up happening? Ultimately, again, the Kentachi Sena, Vativka, Chana would get upset, she would cry, and she wouldn't eat. She wouldn't eat. And this happened every, every single time. So Pasach has verse 8. Elkanah, her husband said to her, Chana, lama tivki? Why are you crying? Why don't you eat? Why are you so upset? It's actually such a moving Pasach. Elkanah says to Chana, I love you more than ten sons. In other words, saying, I give you more love. I give you more love than, than you would get from all of your children. Right? I give you more than anything. So why, why are you upset? Why are you upset? But Lama, it's, it's, it, the wording is so profound. Lama Tivki, why are you crying? Why don't you eat? Why are you sad? You have so much love. I am, I am better for you, so to speak, or give you as much love as ten children. So what happens? Pasuk tes, Vatakam Chana Achari Achla Bishilo. So Chana, okay, she forced something down, she ate something. She got up, Vacharisha, so she drank something, and she goes to the Mishkan. 
She goes to the Mishkan. And of course, it's in this moment where Chana goes ahead and, you know, Chana's tefillah, tefillah's Chana, is the source of so much of the way we daven today, is based on how Chana davened. What's missing from this story? What's missing? She didn't answer him. It's fascinating, right? Elkanah pours his heart. And I just want to point out, like, for a man, this is pretty effusive, right? For a man, this is pretty emotional, right? Why are you upset? First of all, he's reading her emotions, which is pretty incredible also, right? Why are you upset, right? Why are you crying? Why aren't you eating? That's an attentive husband. I love you. I love you. I, I love you more than 10 children. What's wrong? Not a word. She eats a little something, drinks a little something, and she walks away. So why, why, doesn't, why doesn't Hannah say anything? See, see what's unfolding over here? Hannah essentially says, she doesn't say it with words, she just says it in actions. You totally don't understand me. You don't, you know, we've all had exchanges with people like this. Sometimes it's in a marriage, and sometimes it's with friends, and sometimes it's with parents. And you realize that based on what you're saying, you have absolutely no idea what I'm going through. What I'm going through. And so, you know, you could say you have no idea what I'm going through, but then you recognize that on the other hand, the person is trying, right? They're trying. So what what am I going to say? What am I going to say? You don't understand my pain? What am I going to say? You don't understand what I'm going through? Am I going to say eating and drinking? That, that's the least. What, what, what am I going to say? So Hannah doesn't say anything. Hannah doesn't say anything. And this moment, I, I often think, this moment when Hannah walks away is probably the loneliest moment in all of Tanakh. A moment of profound loneliness. Loneliness, you know, Rabbi Soloveitchik writes that there's a difference between being alone and lonely. Two very different things, right? Being alone means there's no one around me. Being lonely means I feel totally by myself. And you know, you could feel lonely even if you're not alone. You could be surrounded, kind of surrounded by people. Everybody's in Shiloh, right? It's, 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 it's a happening place now, right? It's Aliyah Laregel, and again, Elkanah's there, Penina's there, the kids are running around. Hannah's not alone. She's not alone. But she feels so incredibly lonely. No one understands what it is that I'm going through in life. So watch what's happening over here. The Medrash says, Moshivi Akeres Habayis. Ultimately, again, who does that refer to? That refers to Chana. That refers to Chana. So what's happening over here, according to the Medrash, is something much more than a barren woman being remembered. Because the truth is, the Medrash already made that point by Sarah. So what exactly is the Medrash trying to convey through the story of Chana? One more piece, then we're going to bring it all together. One last approach. Take a look at number eight. Davar Acher, Moshivi Akeres Havayis, what does it mean that Hashem remembers the barren woman? Zeh ha'olam hazeh. This refers to this world. Strange measures. What does it mean this refer? What does it mean the barren woman is this world? So I want to show you something from this week's parasha, which again, you know, sometimes you ever, 
You ever see people or meet people who really don't think about stuff a lot? Right? Ever, you know people like that? Like they just really don't give serious thought to things. Right? How do you feel when you meet a person like that? I feel I'm jealous of people like that. I'm jealous. Because the truth is, it's so great to go through life and like you don't really give a lot of depth to a lot of things. And you go, and you're happy, and the sun's out, and you ate dinner, and things are good. The problem is when you are a thoughtful, feeling person, which of course we all strive to be, you begin to understand and to feel the enormous pain which exists in this world. Pain in every single corner. Pain in every single household. Because every family has it. Every household has it. Every person has it. Some more, some less. But everyone has something. And often we don't realize that when the Torah conveys stories. Remember again, we mentioned this last week also. Torah is not a storybook. So whenever the Torah does convey a story, it's for some deeper message, some deeper meaning. So I want to show you something amazing. This week's parasha. So here you have the Medrash saying, Who's the bias? Or what's the bias? Or, what, or what's, what's the barren woman? This world. So look at number nine. Remember again, in this week's parasha, parasha's Vayishlach, you have a ton of stuff that's occurring. Remember again, Yaakov and Esav meet up in the beginning of the parasha. That goes well, Baruch Hashem for the most part. Esav continues on his way, Yaakov continues on his way. Yaakov is continuing home. On the way home, what ends up happening is the abduction, the abduction and violation of Dina. So we know this story, then right, Shimon and Levi go ahead, they wipe out the entire city. Take a look at number nine. They killed, so Shimon and Levi killed out the entire, all of the men of Shechem. Including again the leaders Chamor and Shem, Vayichu as Dina mi base Shem Vayetzeu. They took Dina. Remember again, Dina was abducted, was abducted and violated by Shem. They took Dina from the house of Shem and they left. Now the Medrash is intrigued by the lashon of Vayichu, Vayichu. They took, they took. What does they took sound like? What does it sound like? She didn't want to go. Look at the Medrash writes. This is incredible. Number ten. They had to drag Dina out of the house of Shechem. Drag Dina out of the house of Shechem. This is a daughter of Yaakov Avinu, who was brutalized, who was brutalized by a man who just took her. What do you mean you had to drag her out of the house? Amra Puna, Amra, what did she say? Dina says, why should I leave? What's waiting for me in life? What's waiting for me in life? Who's going to marry me? Where am I going to live? What am I going to do? I know I'm a victim. I didn't do anything. But the world is a cruel and judgmental place. So where am I going to go? Dina doesn't want to leave the house of Shechem. Isn't that... Just to understand, Dina was a young woman, a young girl. A young girl who was brutalized in such a horrific way. Her brothers massacred an entire city to, to free her, right? Literally, again, you understand what that means? They massacred, they loved her so much. They're called Shimon Levi Achidina. These are Dina's brothers. You know, again, 
Brothers, if you're a sister and a family of boys, brothers can be your greatest asset. Right? Brothers, what brothers are supposed to do is stand up for their sister. Well, Shimon and Levi, Shimon and Levi come in and they literally wipe out an entire city to save their sister. They get to Shem's door. Dina says, I'm not going. I'm not going. Why? Because Dina in that moment felt so profoundly broken. I'm, 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 I'm shivrei kalim. I'm broken. I'm broken. I'm damaged goods. I'm damaged goods. No one's ever going to want me. No one's ever going to love me. No one is ever going to want their share their life with me. So listen, Shem, he's a bad guy. He's a bad, well, now he's dead, but he's a bad guy, right? But I guess this is it. I guess this is it. So what's incredible is the Medrash describing over here that Moshidi Akaras Habayis. Who's the barren woman? Who's the barren woman? So the Gemara says it's Olam Hazetz, this world. What does this mean? You know, sometimes a person feels like they have no place in the world. Now we all, I think all of us at different times experience moments like this. Right? I just don't know where I belong. I just don't know where I fit in the cosmic puzzle. I just don't know if anyone really cares if I'm here, if I'm not here, am I productive? Sometimes again, just Olam Hazaz, the Akarasvah, the barren woman. So I just want to point out, we're going to plug this in now, but look what you have. On one phrase, on one phrase in Tehillim, Moshivi Akaras Habayis. So again, first approach, it's Sara Imenu. That one is a little bit more straightforward. Because according to that approach, according to that approach, the entire message of this Pasuk is that what? Believe that Hashem could do anything. Believe it. Whether it's probable, that's something else. But it's absolutely possible. But then two more interpretations. Who's the Akaras Habayis? First approach, or second approach, but now again, Chana, Chana, right? Chana. Again, no one understands me. I feel totally alienated from the world. And then third approach, no, the Akaras Habayis is Olam Hazet, this world. I don't know what my place is. And maybe the way to read the Pasuk is like this. Moshivi Akaras Habayis. Now, here's what's interesting, all right? If you go ahead and you translate the phrase Akaras Habayis, how would you translate it? So, Bayis is home. What is Akaras? So, we all automatically translate Akaras as what? Akara Baron. What, what does it really mean? It could be important. What else could it mean? The Shoresh Ayin Kuf Resh. Lakar means to uproot. To uproot. Akaras Habayis. See, what's a bias? What's a home? What's a home? A home represents a normative life framework. Right? That's what a home is, right? That's why, by the way, the worst thing in life, the worst thing in life is when there is dysfunction in a home. Because a home is supposed to be the framework that gives you safety, security, stability. So now when there's dysfunction, my entire foundation is shaken to its core. What's an Akeras Habayis? Akeras Habayis is someone who has become uprooted from the stability of life. I don't have the stability I crave more than any. Because remember again, at the end of the day, what do we want more than anything? More than anything, what do we want? Right? Stability, 
predictability. That's what I want. Now, even more than success, right? That's why, again, if you give people a choice between stability, predictability versus undefined accomplishment, people will almost always choose predictability, stability, even if it means mediocrity, over than some undefined possibility for unnamed or unquantified growth. It makes sense. We want stability. We, we, we just want... A, so who's the Akaras Abayas? The Akaras Abayas is someone who doesn't have that stability. The Akaras Abayas is someone who, because of life circumstances, has been fundamentally uprooted from a sense of stability, safety, and security. And that's what the Medrash means. Who are examples of this? The truth is, Sarimeno is an example of this. Chana is certainly an example of this. And then, like, the last part of the Medrash is, the truth is, it's actually the dynamic of this world. Right? You see, what's the, great, the great irony of life is that which we yearn for most is very often the one thing we're never going to have. Right? I want more than anything safety, security, stability, with a real emphasis on the stability. And the one thing you almost never have in life is stability. There could be stable things in your life, but life as a whole is not usually stable. Not usually stable. That's, that is Moshidi Akaras. Akaras Abayis is not simply a barren woman. Akaras Abayis is someone who has been uprooted from the stability of a biased life. Now often, when one finds themselves uprooted from the stability of a biased life, so what happens? It's easy to give up. Easy. What does David Amalek say? What does David Amalek say? What does David Amalek always say? Don't give up. So why? what's the end of the Pasuk? Aim habanim smecha. Now this is incredible. Perhaps what David Amalek is saying is like this. Aim, right? What is an aim? What is a mother? What is a mother? A mother is a creator. A creator, right? Specifically a creator of life. But also, again, a mother often in a home, in a family, is the creator of the entire construct of the family's existence. Aim, banim. In chasidos, in chasidos, banim often is also a metaphor for accomplishment. For accomplishment, just like children represent physical fruit, so to speak, banim, children, also metaphorically refers to accomplishments. So look what David HaMelech is saying. Look what David HaMelech is saying. Moshidi Akaras Habayis. You go through life and you are totally uprooted and detached from the normative framework of your home. I thought life was going to be stable. I thought life was going to be safe. I thought life was going to be secure. I thought there was a plan. I thought there was a way forward. I thought I had it all mapped out. And then things happen and life is turned upside down. I, I am the Akaras Habayis. I'm the person who has been uprooted from the safety, stability, predictability of my life, of biased life. Tavra Malach says in that moment when you are tempted to give up, aim, become a creator. Become a creator. Become a mother. Become a creator. And what should you do with your creative prowess? Banim. Make something for yourself in life. Create new results. Life has turned you turned on your head, right? Life has turned upside down. You no longer have the predictability, stability that you thought you once did. Become a mother, become a creator, and create something new in your life. And David Amal says, if you do this, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Smecha. You will find incredible simcha in existence. 
Because in those moments, when you become an Akaras Habayis, the one thing you think you will never find again in life is Simcha. Simcha is a thing of the past. That's it. My Simcha days are over. Nothing good is going to happen. In that moment, Davin HaMelech says, become an aim, become a creator. Banim, create new offspring of accomplishment. Do something to move your life forward. And if you do that, you will reclaim your life simcha. Now here's what's incredible. How does it end? How does it end? Hallelujah. Now remember again, what's hallelujah? Two forms of praise, right? What does hallelujah refer to? Right? Hallelujah refers to ultimately, again, the visible form, right? The overt, the overt praise of God for magnanimous things. Because do you want to know the greatest miracle that exists on the face of the earth? The greatest miracle is not the splitting of the scene. The greatest miracle is not the man coming down from Shamayim. The greatest miracle is not when Mashiach comes. The third base of Mithrash is going to come right down. <coughs> Those aren't the greatest miracles. Do you know what the greatest miracle that exists on the face of the earth? The greatest miracle is when the Akaras Habayis becomes the Eib Habanim. That is the greatest overt public miracle. When a person who has suffered adversity and setback and has been uprooted from the stability of the home, rebounds, makes a comeback in life, regains his or her creative prowess as an aim, creates banim of accomplishment and reclaims simcha, that's hallelujah. That's not even bracha. That's not nuanced praise. That's not nuanced praise. But rather, again, that's dramatic, overt public praise. This is the lesson that David HaMelech is teaching, them, teaching us in this incredible capital. And here's what's, here's what's amazing. What's amazing is we have so many examples. If you go back, this is what Sari Iminu did. This is what Chana did. And this is what is our job as part of the human condition in Olam Hazeh as well. And now you have a greater, hopefully a greater appreciation for this capital. The truth is, I just want to point out even, even just when you think about Hanukkah, right? This, this dynamic is so much of the story of Hanukkah. What happened on Hanukkah, if you think about it? What happened? We were Akaras Habayis. We were, we were uprooted from the home. Which home? Which home? The Beis Hamikdash. Quite literally uprooted from the home. And what's the Neis Hanukkah? What's the Neis Hanukkah? We come back, aim, we decide, let's create something. Let's create something. Banim, what were the first units of accomplishment we created during Hanukkah? We decided to light one little jug of oil, right? And what happened? What happened from that one little jug of oil? Smecha. Eight dramatic days of simcha that paved the way afterwards for hundreds of more years of the Bayez Shenya, the second Beis HaMikdash. That's the story of Hanukkah. The story of Hanukkah, the story of Sarah, the story of the human condition in this world, the story of Hanukkah, and hopefully the narrative that we can make ours. Because when you become an Akaras Habayis, which we all do, sometime in life, old, young, it happens to all of us, where you are uprooted from the safety, stability, predictability of your life, you have a choice. You could wallow in it, you could go ahead and bemoan it, you could complain about it. You could say zelo fair, which often it's not fair, absolutely, and right on every single count. And where does that get you? Absolutely nowhere. In fact, all it does is you're just digging the hole deeper and deeper and deeper. Or I could say, this was a tough one. This was a tough one. But aim, I can create something new. Banim, 
Let me now create something new. The result of that, smecha. The result of that, ultimately again, I will reclaim my simcha. And when you go through that process, hallelujah, you've now just been a part, been a part of the greatest miracle that HaKadosh Baruch Hu performs, which is the miracle of the koach that He endowed each of us to go through this process of being uprooted and then ultimately creating again, finding simcha again. Our foremothers did it, the Chashmonoim did it, and Amir Hashem, we should be Zohar to do it as well. We'll stop over here for tonight. Amir Hashem, again, we're going to continue through Tehillim. Amir Hashem, through tomorrow, uh, through next capital as well. Or maybe next week you might transition a bit more to Hanukkah, but probably a little bit of Tehillim and Hanukkah as well. Stay tuned. Have a wonderful evening, everyone.